Welcome to Investing Experts. I'm Daniel Snyder. In this episode, we are joined by Ryan Wilday from Crypto Waves, an investing group on Seeking Alpha centered around cryptocurrencies and crypto-related stocks. Ryan has many accolades under his belt. With over two decades of experience in the markets, we're getting down into the nitty-gritty numbers for support levels and price targets on Bitcoin and Ethereum this episode as a sneak peek for you. But before we dive in, if you're enjoying the show, this episode, the guests, let us know. You can follow Investing Experts on Seeking Alpha, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can leave ratings on your podcast app of choice and engage in the comment section of the show notes page. We just love hearing and hanging out with the best investing audience in the world. Now let's get to the interview. All right, Ryan, let's go ahead and kick things off. Dive right in. What is your take on the overall state of Bitcoin? right now? Uh, I mean, I think we've had really interesting action. I mean, uh, you know, you're, you're the um, subscribers of Seeking Alpha would have um, seen Jason and my somewhat bearish or cautious arguments or, or sorry, articles over the last uh, couple of months. And what has happened is um, during that time or in between some of those articles, Bitcoin has broken over a key resistance level, which was 27,500. We'd mentioned it in the articles, or at least I have. Uh, Jason may have been looking at it slightly different, but we've both um, at least cautiously had to turn to um, to respect the at least bullish part potentialist market. Um, I mean, sometimes when you write an article, whether you say it's uh, you know you're looking down and cautious, or 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 the opposite. I mean, your position. I mean, position sizing for me, or position and trading for Bitcoin is generally different levels of long. I will occasionally take short trades. Uh, to hedge my overall long position, I you know I fill cold wallets. I use the bear market to fill up my cold wallets. Um, you know, so uh, it's been a very good market for me. But um, so I want to make sure people understand that from a disclosure standpoint, um, the, in terms of the means where I trade. But um, but I had to turn from attitudinally, sentimentally, from being more cautious on the market to be more bullish. Um, the other thing we had seen too. I mean, and that's just chart based based. Now you look at um, what's happened event-wise over the over the last um, man. I'm talking now about six months. We had the FTX collapse in November of last year, and what did Bitcoin? You, you know, everyone was. You know, I I got tweets like, okay, what are we gonna do? Uh, the crypto market is falling apart. Uh, no one's gonna want crypto after this. Those are the kinds of things that folks said to me over Twitter or even subscribers I have in my services. And um, and what has happened that was that that sparked a rally, um, and, you know, and, and rallies often start when the sediment is the worst. I, I often tell my subscribers that um, the worst news happens at the bottoms. Um, the best news happened at the tops. That's that's just the nature of markets and sentiment. Um, but I didn't necessarily assume that was the bottom at the time, but it continues to develop. Um, it, it developed into hitting our resistance point at 27. And then we had the Silicon Valley bank collapse recently uh, on top of it, Signet, uh, Silvergate bank collapse, which um, is probably more important to the crypto space since they serve a lot of the exchanges and more rally, you know? And so I think we have a state where, um, you know, if you know the crypto history or the Bitcoin history, you know that um, countries that have had serious economic problems have often run to bit crypto zimbabwe venezuela um uh, even hong kong which wasn't so much a financial crisis but a crisis of freedom 
as China moved in to 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 um, to take stronger control over it, and capital moved out via Bitcoin of in all of those situations, and um, I think we've seen our first little taste of that event in America. If I was to if I was to pinpoint it, uh, I don't know. Like, um, but it, I get a sense that people understand the value of crypto and it's um, and in holding Bitcoin takes you out of um, the system of intermediaries that happens in our banking system. And I, I, I can only assume that that's what happened. But regardless, the chart is um, breaking, has broken over resistance. And um, and and as it pulls back so far, it's we call it correctively and Elliott Wave um, speak, Elliott Wave analysis speak, but but pulled back. I mean, honestly, barely pulled back when it pulls back. I mean, that's just it's a bullish market right now. And so uh, we, we will monitor every level of support that we have below us. We have multiple levels and right now, 21 or sorry, 27,800. It's right below us, 21,2 next and then 17 after that. 17 is. Um, is where I start to look for new for new yearly lows, but right now it's we're not even close to that. Uh, we've rally, we've doubled off the low with all these banking crises, so-called worst events in crypto um, ever, so to speak. And if I was to listen to some people, <laughs> you know, some podcasters and whatnot, uh, but it was uh, very much the opposite of what the crowd expected in terms of price action. So yeah, and uh, I mean Ether has gone over its level of support. Gosh, I, or resistance. I don't remember that offhand, but um, it's broken it solidly. Actually, Ether has a far more bullish setup if you look at the daily chart because where Bitcoin gave us a new yearly low at no, in November of last year, Ether gave us a higher low, which from a technical standpoint suggests a, a stronger rally to go. Although Ether Bitcoin chart is a little bit bearish right now, um, I think in uh, the grand scheme, Ether has is set up far more for my ultimate targets. And what I'm what I would like to see is Bitcoin rally to 125k. I've asked for that many for many years now. It's been a little slow, although so you know it's 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 um, hit all of my past targets, which I had asked for. I'd asked the market or or, or projected that the market would hit 21k uh, in uh, sorry 65k in 2021. Got that solidly. Um, but I did expect the market to consolidate and go on to 125k, and that that's where it failed. But um, but this setup here could eventually develop that that setup again. So we'll see. You know, uh, you know, as as always, uh, my projections work until key levels below break. Right, like like I said, I'm looking up, but if 17k goes, uh, you know, we have a cascading level of support, like I gave earlier. And if 17K goes, that's sort of critical and we'll see more yearly lows. So it's always if this, then that, but it's looking really good right now. I and mean, that's kind of the, I mean, I went through that fast uh, if I need to review any of that, but it's looking pretty good. Let's dive in a little bit further. So you, you mentioned Bitcoin and Ethereum. So is there a correlation between those two coins right now? Yeah, I mean, they're always, they have been highly correlated for many years. I mean, they, when I traded... I was actually more active Ethereum trader in 2016, uh, more than I was trading Bitcoin. I owned some Bitcoin, but I but as a trading vehicle, I was more into Ether, and they were less correlated back then, but kind of related. They're highly correlated now. I mean, I think it runs 90% on like an intraday basis, roughly. I'd have to look. I mean, uh, I mean, a correlation is a dangerous game because you you can you can measure it statistically from an intraday. An hourly, a daily, you know, you you, can, you have to look at it from that perspective. And uh, I know intraday, I think it's quite high from a daily chart, you know, quite high. But then you'll see variations, like I said earlier, where um, Ethereum has a higher high, a higher low. 
and Bitcoin had a lower low in November 2022, which is a, a very important on a technical basis, a very important characteristic in the chart that traders will look at. So correlation, you know, there's correlation and then there's, you know, you can go out, you can chew, you can break, you can unpack that in many different ways. But in essence, they tend to move together, you know. Um, with right now on a on a lower time frame, the the ether Bitcoin chart is a little bit bearish. Uh, maybe trying to turn, but it's pretty bearish, meaning that Bitcoin should be ahead of Ether short term. Um, but that 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 on a daily chart, so you can see the variation in time frame on a daily chart, Ether looks a lot better. That makes sense. So you've been investing in cryptocurrencies for like a decade now. Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. A different. I mean, I, mean, I have to qualify that because like my bio will say since 2012, uh, I would just qualify it as I wasn't a terribly active trader back then. Um, but, but, but I'll just say that the 2016 to 2017 rally changed my financial life. I'll just say, I'll just put it that way without putting any details around it. It changed my financial life. Uh, so I was there for that. And, um, and the 2018 took some of that back to, to, to but not, not enough to, to, I mean, it really set me on a, a totally different course of life. So I'll just put it that way. Yeah. So it's been a while. Being the veteran that you are in this space, is this a new bull market that we're seeing unfold right now? I was just say it's the early signs and we have to continue to see follow through. Um, it sure looks like a turn. Uh, it, you know, if, and, and, and put this in perspective that if I'm not mistaken, someone may correct, but Bitcoin has never had two bearish years in a row. So if it wasn't a new bull market, that would be historic. I mean, okay, historic and like, a, you know, how long have we had Bitcoin? 14 years now. But um, but Bitcoin has never had two bearish years and when they had, when you know basically the open on a January was um, was higher than the close on December. We've only had that one you know we've only had that one year at a time. So you would expect it. We also have the Bitcoin halving, which I don't look at from a because the data points are quite small. We only have a few data points for the halvings, but typically we're in the window where the mining halving, which is the halving of Minor, minor minor rewards so basically the inflation rate of bitcoin drops uh on a i think it's a four-year cycle someone's going to correct me i'm sure because this is not my my area of expertise but uh we're in the window where that usually sparks a rally that that drop in inflation rate so a lot of a lot of data secondary data historic data suggests yes now i'm just looking for price to continue to to suggest that to be true because price is proof you know, it's not, you know, all the secondary data is just insight, provides insight, but um, now it's, price has got to continue what it's doing right now. I mean, just present tense, it's it's doing what it should be doing for a new bull, bull market to start. And then as long as it stays over support, then we'll just continue to look up. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the way it works. Now, we, how you risk and manage that in a trading standpoint, that that's there's a lot of different approaches to that, but um, I would not suggest that everyone go all in. I would, if you don't have any exposure, I would get some, but I wouldn't go nuts. And then I would buy pullbacks and then, you know, and just, um, man, you know, have a risk level where you, uh, at least are going to get cut back. Um, so I, I would just make sure people be careful about my words and what they, what their actions are. Cause I, I teach my subscribers day in, day out, how to manage risk and, harp on these on, on those things so you don't go all in just because it's a, a bull market but it does look very good right now so a few episodes back we had analyst clem chambers on and he was saying that the u.s government wants to get rid of crypto 
Just curious from your viewpoint, are you worried about that at all? Um, I mean, I, I, I think that, well, I, I would disagree that the U.S. government in respect to single issues like this is uh, hegemony. The truth is, if you, is that there are players within the U.S. government that wants to do with, with crypto, and there are, uh, there are players inside the U.S. government that are very, very pro-crypto. Question is who wins, right? And I would say maybe the anti-crypto voices are a little loud right now. The reality about crypto is the only thing that that is going to play into is, you know, banking rails uh, in the end of the day. But we're already seeing some, uh, some Wyoming is probably the most notable. They're actually creating a an alternative banking system that is separate from the FDIC insurance that's fully deposited, and uh, and and they have, they haven't passed laws. They're, they pass laws that are pro-crypto in, in the sense of the banking industry, but they haven't passed laws to sort of block like CBTCs and other things that the federal government. So we have a war between state governments. We, and, and you can talk about Florida, action in Florida, a war between state governments and the federal government in regards to crypto and banking. So I don't think that that story is written. The other side of it is in strategy for me, uh, I, I I can't, well, I make a living doing this, so I, I can't exactly just turn off my living. Um, I definitely have thought about if it gets really bad, I could leave the country and all of that so I can continue to make a living. I mean, I left my previous career to do this, so I'm, I'm in. Um, but from a, from a tactical aspect, um, I collect a lot of crypto into cold wallets in case I've got to dive out or dip out, so to speak, you know, leave the country if I had to. Um, uh, but I don't, you know, I think it's a little bit of stretch to say it comes to that. You know, I, you know, some people, you know, prefer gold for those situations and all of that. Uh, to me, that's very cumbersome. I, I think crypto works as long as they keep the internet lights on. Uh, Bitcoin's a lot easier. I mean, I'm a digital native, so to speak. Well, I, I transition. I mean, I came into life without the internet and I, and I got used to it at, a, at an early age. Right. Um, and, uh, and it's just more natural. Now, do I own gold? I do, but, but I, but I prefer to have something that's portable, leave the country. No one necessarily knows I have it. I don't have to guard it with guns, you know, so to speak. I just have, that's my preference. So it doesn't, it doesn't change that much, but I'm certainly watching these developments, um, very carefully for my own living's sake. So Ryan, want to take a second for the people that are listening that may not have a position in Bitcoin or Ethereum and they want to start a position, would you recommend that now is a good risk reward period for them? I would I always try to teach people to like, okay, one, if you don't have a position, get a position. What's the right size is the question then, right? Uh, I think that a good guideline is five to ten percent of your tradable assets or investable assets. Um, I do so I do think so Bitcoin, I have Bitcoin as a at a portfolio level asset, meaning not tradable. So uh, I trade Bitcoin, but but if I put assets like SPX, SP, SP 500 exposure, gold, uh, bonds, you know, some of these sort of umbrella level assets, I consider real estate, I consider Bitcoin one of those which to is probably foreign to a lot of you know sort of older generation right like what why and and part of it is the capability that uh if the if the crud hits the fan uh bitcoin is immediately usable in a lot of countries it 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 is um it is an asset that 
can't easily be confiscated. I mean, they can't be confiscated without serious violence and um, uh, even even harder to confiscate than gold. So I, I consider Bitcoin at that sort of level of portfolio. And so then I man managed that at a sort of rebalancing, right? So that's non-trading. So like, okay, my bull, my Bitcoin assets sort of overinflated because of the gains, I should take some of that and put into move into gold. So kind of the rebalance level portfolio. And then when I go down into like the swing trading, you know, or day or intraday trading, it's also an asset in that those portfolios that are being used for mark, you know, intraday to multi-week market. Um, so I think it starts with, you know, what are your what are your trading investing strategies and do you operate at like a, a, a long-term portfolio level only? You know, and I think in that respect, uh, at least those people should have some exposure. And five to ten percent in Bitcoin can do a lot. I wouldn't mess with a lot of altcoins. I mean, there's um, Ethereum has a unique benefit if you learn smart contracting and all of that. That's a kind of another whole other podcast. But um, but you know you could consider that as well. But I wouldn't touch anything else in the crypto space at that level where you aren't trading. Like you know anything that's an, a, a very sort of little tiny micro altcoin is really a tradable asset it's not an investable asset right now um so that's what that's the way i would treat it and then just then go okay what level of exposure am i comfortable with and there's no reason to go nuts if it's new to you because a little goes a long way in terms of return if it's a really new bull market uh we should we should go 5x um that's just normal like just look at bitcoin's history you know 2017 was the was in Elliott Wave talk the third of a third wave, and it went from eighteen hundred. Well, it was even lower than that. I think the the one important low, the ultimate low was like one hundred and something, and then it went to eighteen thousand. Um, uh, uh, Ether went from ten to thirteen hundred. So we won't see those level of returns. But then even um, you know even from two thousand eighteen low to the two thousand twenty low was twenty x. This is very normal behavior for crypto. I'm only talking about 5X from here. That's historically low level of return for Bitcoin. So you don't need to go nuts with a, some large position. And then, and, then, and then after you add some, you need to consider whether you would buy lower. You know, would you DCA if we went lower? Would you, would you um, are you going to set apart, apart some cash? To, to dollar cost average or add, or buy dips, you know, and then are you going to trade that? Those are the questions you just need to ask yourself. And some of it has to do um, has to do with who you are as a trader. It really isn't too hard for, you know, most of my subscribers who are not really traders, it's not too hard for them to learn how to say, okay, I'm going to start with a small position and then buy dips. Simple as that. And then if, the, if some profits arises from some of those dips, I'm going to take some profit. And then you build yourself kind of a long-term asset base to work from. And then later you might mature into some trading, you know, to try to make it some income out of it on a daily basis. So I, so I think that that's, it starts with knowing yourself. It starts with considering some exposure if you haven't had any, and then it, then it goes with controlling yourself, your animal spirits to say, okay, I'm not going to make that position size too large for me to handle right now, especially with the you know, potential of more economic duress. So that's a less long-winded, but I think um, you know I'm trying to walk people through uh, how you can how how one how one thinks about these questions. So I just want to take a second. At the beginning of the episode, you had mentioned some support levels for Bitcoin. Now let's talk about price target. From what you just said about five x, that would be a return of 
what 120 125k yeah so that's i mean it's a little less than 5x but it's pretty so sorry it's a little less than 4x sorry i did speak out of turn so it's about roughly 4x from here if we get there is there any time horizon on that no uh, i i avoid uh, her i mean so i'm using elliott wave and um elliott wave analysis and one thing i've learned over time of doing it is that the corrective waves which are um the non-trending waves they just they just tend to slosh around longer than i ever expect you know so i'm just i'm super cautious on time frames what about the risk to reward of ethereum right here well ethereum the targets um 10,500 that's the and right now we're sitting at um 1800 range i didn't look at the price in about 30 minutes but it's in that range so that's even bigger um risk to reward i would just again be careful with ether if you're not interested in trading or don't have interest in smart contracts and all that it's just um a more volatile asset and the altcoin space is just something that yeah, I think people need to spend a little more time with. It's not like digital gold, so to speak. It's not, it doesn't behave like digital gold in the same respect. It may over time, and it's starting to behave that way, but just a little bit different type of asset. Do you have any insights as to why Bitcoin and Ethereum are so correlated, yet their returns can be so different like that? I mean, you know, the whole crypto market is highly correlated. So even if you see Bitcoin go up, go up for like over a period of days and like big cream candles, you might look over at Dogecoin as doing the same thing. The, the crypto market at Ether, but Ether and Bitcoin um, have, both have pretty strong institutional exposure as well. So <clears throat> I would say under the hood, I would imagine that there are institutions doing balancing between the two, trading the Ether Bitcoin pair chart, um, both of them have a healthy options market, so there's hedging going on. So there's an institutional behavior that happens in Bitcoin and Ether that you don't see in the other altcoins. It's not to say institutions are not in other altcoins, but but you don't have the the sort of very well developed infrastructure of a market. You got CME futures in both on our on our standard futures market in the U.S. They're both they're both there. Both have mini contracts and full contracts, just like the S and P 500. Um, so there's a very healthy like institutional market on that side. So that's going to correlate them. Um, and then there's just the market caps. So they're both pretty healthy, big, fat market caps. So that affects the way they move, their volatility characteristics and all of that. It's kind of keeps together where you can have you can have another little altcoin that's so small in the market cap and so thin on the exchanges that some little stupid piece of news and they're dropping 50% and then back up by the next day. I mean, you get, you, we used to see that kind of stuff in Bitcoin back in the day, Ether back in the day for sure. But, um, but, but because they're so healthy market cap wise and liquidity and the infrastructure in the market has developed so much, they just, they don't do some of that crazy stuff in the same way that they used to. I mean, it was a very different market, like, you know, five years ago, for sure. 2017 was very different than it is today. And even 2008, you know, all you go on and on. I mean, every year, these markets mature, not just not just internationally, but even in the U.S., where we are getting such a. Uh, even though we're getting so much pressure from some politicians, the market continues to develop in terms of its infrastructure and its health, overall health. So multiple times you have mentioned Elliott Wave theory throughout this episode. So for the listeners who know what that is and the strategy behind that, what would you say is the count right now for where Bitcoin is? Um, it, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of debate because the data, the early data in Bitcoin is very hard to judge where, where does Bitcoin, where do you actually, like when Bitcoin first traded, it was 
not on any exchange. It was basically on bulletin boards. And it, and it actually had an exchange price on some of those bulletin boards. So it makes it really difficult data-wise to say, okay, because you, when you do Elliott Wave, you have to use the entire history of the chart and work in. Um, but my perspective is that we are in the fifth of a third of a large third wave, but I have some alternates. So the 125 would, would terminate the third the third wave of Bitcoin in its history. Uh, and 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 that means that the fourth and fifth is going to go much higher. And I do expect a one million dollar Bitcoin price. In fact, I think it's better to for it to hit three million eventually. Um, that that suggests a lot of problems with the currency, the U.S. currency, to be honest, because um, I expect a lot some bigger gold prices as well. So I think there's a lot of charts that suggest some serious problems that are with the U.S. dollar. But um, uh, so so fifth of a third. Yeah, and then the fourth and fifth to come, and then and then so what that what that means is eventually there's a wave two that's of a very large large degree, which can be a multi-decade bear market in Bitcoin, but that's a ways far off. I may not even be in my lifetime, to be honest. Oh, what a bold take! Love it, Ryan. Thank you so much for joining us today, providing all those insights. Listener, if you want to see more of his research, go over, just click the link in the description or on the show notes page, Crypto Waves. Check it out. There is a 14-day free trial. Just a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast should not be considered investment advice. At times, myself or the guests might own positions in the securities mentioned, but this is for entertainment purposes only, and you should seek advice from a licensed professional before investing. And if you listened all the way to the end, you're the real MVP. Thank you, listener, and we'll see you next episode.